Acts 5, verse 1. To recap quickly, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus comes, speaks to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Uh, He ascends into heaven, promises the gift of God's spirit, chapter two. Whole church is filled with God's spirit, wind and fire. Uh, They speak in tongues. Peter preaches, 3,000 people believe. The church is unified, loving, kind, generous. Chapter three, they heal a guy born lame, been there for 40 years. He jumps up walking, leaping, praising God. Uh, This stirs the whole community, like what's going on here. Uh, Additional people believe, the church is probably numbering 10,000. There begins to generate this kind of power struggle between the established religion and there becomes these attacks. So they have told the apostles, hey, you can't preach. Their response was, hey, you know, you decide whether we should obey man or God. So that's kind of where it was left. Uh, Barnabas, this, his name means son of encouragement, sells a house, gives all the money to the church, and now we pick it up. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice in verse two, who's doing the action here? He kept for himself some of the proceeds. That's important. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. That that just doesn't happen today, does it? This is pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram, pre-internet. Like this news would be out instantly. So she's clueless. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Right, so the doorkeepers are super busy today. They're like, man, (laughs) Peter, stop. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We did this on Sunday, three weeks ago, I think. Uh, A couple of quick notes on it. Um, George MacDonald, a great author, late 1800s, said this, half of the misery of our world is people trying to look instead of be. People posing, not being what they're supposed to be, not genuine, but pretending, right? Christianity is supposed to be the one place you can be a human being, not a human trying, but a human being that it's Jesus's work on our behalf, that he takes us as we are, begins to renew and change us. And it's the one place that you can say, I'm not okay. I need help. Raise your hand. I'm broken because everyone's broken. So Christianity at its core is the one place you can be a human being, not a human trying. So this sin here attacks that. And the world is full of posers, isn't it? I was thinking about this. Uh, because I read something on Millie Vanilli. Who remembers them? 
Okay, they're still in our language. I'm wondering like, am I getting that old? Do you remember, they were huge when I was like 17 years old. They were the, a massive band, right? Blame It On The Rain, uh, winning Grammys, breaking record charts. They were unbelievable until they had that infamous live performance on MTV. Do you guys remember that? And then the record skipped. And they kept playing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and they never sang, right? They were lip syncers, they're posers. They never, and they had compared themselves. It was so funny, just a month prior to that, they're, they're saying, we're bigger than Bob Dylan, we're bigger than the Beatles, we're the next Elvis, right? They're saying all these massive things. And the whole time they've never sung a single lyric and it comes out on an MTV show. And if you can, I think you can probably YouTube it. They just, when it keeps skipping, they just ran off the stage. They're like, we're out of here. <laughs> They got sued like 29 times. Uh, their Grammy was taken away from them. Their Emmy was like, they got stripped of everything. I think they ended up in prison, right? Because they're posing. That's what happens. When we pose, eventually you'll be on stage and the record will skip and you'll be like, oh man, this is the worst time. The church is supposed to be the new temple that you get in by grace, not by works and that you're able to be who you actually are so that God can change you into what you're supposed to be. And there's not supposed to be levels in church, right? Like, well, you're a super giver, you're a super saint, you're a kindest, no, it's a saint or an ain't. That's the only two levels in the church. Either you have believed in Jesus and you're now part of his kingdom or you're not, that's it. So now these Two, Ananias and Sapphira are bringing this kind of level like, well, we're better because we gave all our money and you didn't give all, like it starts making the church weird. So I think God says, I'm not having that. Secondly, the second note on this is I think God wants the church to be pure. He wants a pure church, a spotless bride. That's what he wants. And with purity comes power. So I worked as an engineer for about six years and my job was, I designed these little things called particle counters and they count the dust in the air. Do you know there's a lot of dust in the air? And this is my favorite statistic I learned while studying dust. 75% of indoor dust is composed of dead skin cells. Most of them are human. Breathe deeply, my friend. We're all cannibals at one level. Well, here's what happens when you make a chip, like an Intel Pentium chip or whatever it is, the closer you can get the lines together on that chip, the faster that chip goes. But one tiny speck of dust, if it gets in that chip, one impurity, when they put that chip together, it shorts it out and it's powerless. So they make them in these places called clean rooms. And my little device would go up on the wall and it tells them if, the wall, if that room is clean or not and sends alarms because one impure thing in that chip ruins all its power. The Bible puts it like this, a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump. And so God's like, I'm pulling the leaven out right here. I'm not allowing that impurity to get into the church and begin to reduce its power in the world. And if you look at churches, denominations, whatever it is, when leaven gets in that denomination, it, they've just signed their death warrant. Within two generations, typically, that church ceases to exist. It's that important. Right? Not physical death like this, but you've signed your death warrant as a body of believers, pure. So devotionally, this text causes me to ask this question. What am I filling my heart up with? Because you have in chapter two, God's spirit fills the church and there's this massive wave of power, right? 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved, miracles, power because the spirit fills. But then this text, Satan fills the heart and it kills. So I have to ask myself, this week, what have I been filling my heart with? What have I been allowing in here? Because it's gonna determine whether I'm in chapter two or chapter five. I mean, I got a lot of bad stuff in my heart. What, what do I do? I have these thoughts, I have these memories, I have these things, I have a lot of bad stuff in my heart, what do I do? There's this great little story about Elisha. He has this school of prophets. And they go to make food one day. They're like, I'm starving. I haven't eaten for 15 minutes. Just like my kids, I'm so hungry. <laughs> and so they make this big pot of food and someone had put a poisonous herb in there. 
So they start to eat and they're like, ah! They say, there's death in the pot. So guess what Elisha does? He takes a big bag of meal, good stuff, pours it into that pot, says, now you can eat it. He dissipates the poison by putting it in good stuff. I think that is the perfect picture of what you do when your heart is full of poison, when it's killing you. You start dumping in good stuff, becoming a Bible study, reading your Bible, being around good stuff, and it starts to dissipate the poison so you're not dying from it. So the leaven isn't killing you. So you don't end up in chapter five, all right? So here, these guys lie ultimately, and it's the lie that gets them. Do you know this? The majority of men lie about how tall they are. I don't, you know, I'm six four and I'm happy about it. <laughs> like, how, it, it, there's, there's a study that says this, on average people in conversation, this is not like when you're not talking, because you know, unless you're lying to yourself, which is really awkward, in conversation, <laughs> like, in conversation, people typically, on average, lie every 10 minutes in a conversation. They're just a little, little here, little here, just in a conversation, there's just all these little fudges that people make all the time. That's crazy when you think about it, but probably true. And what's so damaging about lies is this. It ruins, N.T. Wright says, the greatest gift mankind has is the ability to talk and speak. It's our greatest ability. So now you've taken the greatest gift God has ever given to somebody and now you're diluting it and polluting it. So why would they believe when you preach the gospel? If they know you're a liar, why would they believe when you tell them about Jesus? And Romans 10, 14 says, how would they believe unless somebody preaches? So we gotta be careful. So Isaiah says this, it's Isaiah six. He goes, I am a man of unclean lips. Man, I got lies, I realize that. And it says, an angel took a coal off the altar and touched Isaiah's lips and cleansed him. That's what I pray all the time. I pray what the psalmist prays. He says, set a guard before my lips. I think it's Psalm 41. I wake up, God, today, as I go throughout my day, God, set a guard in front of my lips. Cleanse my lips. I don't wanna be in this chapter. I wanna be in chapter two. I don't want a little leaven getting in there. I don't want that, okay? So those are kind of devotional. Um, one question people always ask is, were Ananias and Sapphira believers? One man's opinion, I say yes. They lied to the Holy Spirit. So there's some kind of relationship there because unbelievers, yeah, who cares, right? So this is something intimate, something inside. And I think this is an example of 1 John 5, 16 that says, there is a sin unto death. And the context of that chat, it's really debatable, but here's what I think on that, that there is a time if a believer is headed in the wrong direction, God just takes them home. You know what? You're headed down a bad road. And if you keep heading down this bad road, it's gonna get really bad. I'm taking you home. And we, from our vantage point, we look at death as the worst thing possible. Is it? Jesus would say, Matthew chapter 10, he would say, do not fear the one that can kill your body. Fear the one that after your body's dead, holds your soul in, your, in his hand. That's, that, what happens in this life? Yeah, it matters, totally. But man, what happens in the next life really matters. So we look at death as like, oh no, God's like, that was chapter one. Man, we've got a thousand chapters to go. So he says, I'm, I'm taking you home, all right? What should his wife have done? Because I pointed out in verse two, he kept back for himself. Who's the one generating this, this idea? It appears to me it's the husband. What should a wife do? Should she submit to this? <laughs> Here we go. Yep. <laughs> should a wife just submit? Well, you know, okay. Is that the job of a wife in a situation like this? No. No. No way. We all need people especially our spouses who will say no to us. Bad idea, Matt. No, I'm so glad my wife is a strong person who will say, bad idea, Matt, no, because I need that. What Sapphira should have said to her, her husband is, no, that is a bad idea. 
and spared them, but she didn't. And so that's why Peter goes through this almost long process of like trying to ferret out where were you, where were you at on this? Oh, you agreed? Bummer, bummer. Do you have anyone in your life that says no to you? I hope you do. Right? David the king had somebody that said no to him. Nathan the prophet marched in his throne room and accused him rightly of murder and taking another, like he, mar- that's a very bold thing to do to a king who holds everyone li- everyone's life in their hand. Right? That's the way kings were. And Nathan marches it. You know what? Later on, David names one of his kids, Nathan, because he respected that. We all need someone who will say no. Because if you don't have someone that will say no to you, I think God will. And it'll look a lot, I think, like Acts chapter five. Brutal. It's much better to have somebody close to you that you know well that will say, Matt, stop. No, that's wrong. It's healthy, all right? So we did that on Sunday. That was a recap. Verse 12. So now great fears on, everyone's kind of like, whoa, this is serious. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. So they kind of hung out in this one spot up on the temple mount. None of the rest dared join them. People die there. (laughs) Don't join that crew. But the people held them in high esteem. There's this like battle there between these two things. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of them, men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were healed. So there's a tension at the first part of this section. And it's like, man, God's not safe. We saw what happened in that church. God's not safe. And I would agree. He's good, but he's not safe. He's God. And it prunes, verse 13, kind of prunes things. None of the rest dared to join them. You know, that's what holiness does. Holiness prunes the church. Those that are nominal, nominal just means name, those that are in name only Christian, but there's no evidence of Jesus in their life. Nominal Christians say, ooh, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm out. That's scary. I think I'm out. But then verse 14, right after that says, and more than ever, believers were added. There's an attraction to it, to the believer. Holiness is so attractive. They do things right there. There's not weirdness there. There's not leaven there. There's not sin there. There's not gross. I don't have to worry about something coming out of the closet there. I like that, right? To the believer, holiness is the most attractive thing in the world. They do it right there. They don't compromise. They don't have lies. They don't allow hypocrisy. I want in. So it's like this, there's this instant divide. The nominals are like, I'm out, can't take holiness. And those that love Jesus are, that is awesome. I want more. The world is so polluted. The world is so gross. The world is full of this poser mentality. I want reality. I think that's true of a family. It's true of a home. I have sensed holiness in a home where you just say, there's something in this house. I can't even explain it, but it's so attractive. And it's a sweet smell that a home has because there's not compromise. There's not hypocrisy. There's not sin there. It's beautiful. I think you see it in people too. So you've got that. And then you have this interesting little thing about people being carried out into the streets so that Peter, his shadow might fall on some of them. And you gotta say, huh? What is that? It never says they're healed by Peter's shadow, right? Just because a crowd does something doesn't make it correct, right? There's all kinds of fads and all kinds of weird things people do. Remember trepanation? Do you see the 2020 on that? Oh, that's a good one. It's this idea that if you drilled a, a hole in your skull, 
Remember that? Oh, you guys. Man, you gotta get with like the fun stuff. So there's this, there's this it actually goes back to a doctor uh, who said that there's stuff in the front, frontal lobe of your brain. You can't punch into your brain. They just wanna, they, they just wanna drill through. They use like a Makita cordless drill. I mean, it's just, it's the craziest thing you ever saw. I mean, you're just like, what in the, this is America? You guys are nuts. So they would drill into their whole like head and they're like, how do you make sure you don't hit your brain? Oh, it just gets soft, the last part there and you just, you just stop. I'm like, oh my goodness. So they say it takes care of headaches. I'm like, of course it does. You got a hole in your head. You're not even worried about a headache. Like, ah, I got a hole in my head. <laughs> it's the craziest stuff in the world. And they say for two weeks, you have this euphoria of like, Brilliance. You just become the like, smartest person in the world. I'm like, well, if you're drilling a hole in your head, probably not a big step to feeling a lot smarter. You know, it's not a huge move there, right? But it only lasts two weeks. So guess what they do again? Get out the Makita, charge it up. Right? So their head ends up looking like a deer sign on Wolf Creek, just boing, 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 boing. Like, ha. Oh. Right? Just because a bunch of people do it doesn't mean it's correct. That's my point. So it never says they're being healed. Um, I don't know, right? It's just, huh. We have to just be careful because maybe we don't do the shadow thing, but Charity and I went to Israel about a year, well, it's in June of 2016. So almost two years ago. And uh, we had a day where we're headed to the Jordan River. And there's this young kind of crew because it was a college class. So a lot of young guys and young gals there and they were so excited. I'd been there before. Oh, the Jordan River, the Jordan River. Oh man, I can't wait to the Jordan River. This is gonna be awesome. Oh, the Jordan River, Jordan River, right? So if you've ever been to the Jordan River, you get there and there's like 50,000 tour buses there and you're one of like a million people crowding into the Jordan. So you get down and you run down the Jordan River and it looks like a mud hole that a cow made. You're like, oh, that's the Jordan River? Oh my goodness, right? And then these young guys are like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're stripping off and jumping in and like, oh, I feel it. I'm like, they're like, Matt, come in. Nah, it's all right. Not gonna do it, right? None of the Israelis get in. They're like, uh uh-uh. If that thing was in the United States, no one would get into it. But because it's the Jordan River in Israel, oh, it's holy, man, let's get in there. Then we went to the Garden of Gethsemane and they had a little shop there where it was, Israeli olive oil from the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, we gotta buy some of that. Oh, this is healing oil. If we have this, like you come to church and it's like, uh, uh, do you want Safco oil? Do you want Costco olive oil? Or do you want Israeli olive oil? I want that, that'll heal me, right? We have the same thing kind of, it's like, that's special because it's from Israel. That's special because it's the Jordan River. Mm, I don't know. So on one side, I think you gotta be like careful because I think we can do the same shadow thing. But on the other side, you have in the Old Testament, this dead dude thrown into a tomb that had Elisha's bones in it and he resurrected and walked out of the tomb. You're like, ooh, oh. You have a lady that had an issue of blood for 17 years and she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. We'll see later on in this book, Paul's sweat rags are taken and laid on people. And the Bible there definitively says they got healed. So which one is it, Matt? I don't know. I just go back to Psalm 115.3. God is in heaven and he does what he wants. And if you try to box God in and make him fit this nice little neat little can, you're not reading your Bible, okay? You will not, you're not reading your Bible, right? I tell people this, if you think you already know the Bible, don't read it because it will mess with you and it will keep messing with you because the Bible says this about itself. It says it's alive. And it's the only book I've ever read that actually grows with me. I don't reread books. I can't do it. I, they, they bore me. But every time I read through the Bible, I'm like, huh? Like, what did that just, wait a second, hold on. What in the world? because it's growing with me, it's growing. It's like, your, it's like your wife, right? I've been married now for 18 years. Does my wife still surprise me? Yeah, totally, right? I'm like, what, what'd you do? Oh my goodness, right? In good ways, obviously, mostly. <laughs> it's, God's word does that, it, just, it, it should, you should be saying, what? 
is one of those same things. Like, well, what is it? Is it, hey, be careful? Or is it Elisha's bones? Yeah, both. Both. I don't know. God is in heaven. He does whatever he wants. And we should allow him to do that and let it be deep and let there be mystery. There's mystery. And mystery is good. It's really healthy. All right, so there you have it. Verse 17. But as the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So this means most of these people would have a prison in the bottom of their house. So if you're a high ranking person, you'd most likely have a prison in the bottom of your house, your private prison, that if you're like mad at somebody, you just put them in your private prison. They put them in the public prison. And, we'll, and I'll explain why. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay, so now you got the power of, of the city taking note of this stuff happening and they're filled with jealousy. And so they imprisoned them. For what? Right? Yeah. They've healed people, cast out demons. They're helping the poor widows. And we're going to throw you in. Pr- Stop doing those good things. Prison for you. Right? It's crazy. Totally crazy. They put them in the public prison. Here's why. If someone asks you, hey, where's your pastor? Oh, he's in jail. What immediately does that put in a person's mind? Oh, man, what's that guy been doing, man? Right? So they're going to parade them from the public jail across the town square the next morning so everyone can see. Look it. In chains, drug, it's to publicly humiliate their reputation. That's what they're trying to do. That's why it's a public prison. They're showing, look at how bad these people are. <laughs> but then a ninja angel shows up and <laughs> lets them out in the middle of the light. Right? And then I love what he says. Go Speak to the people all the words of this life. I don't witness. I tell people about the words of life, right? That's what I wanna share with people. That's what Christianity is about. I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. I wanna share about how life is, right? Christianity works. So um, who here has heard of Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is the high priest of atheism. Like he has led the charge for the last, oh, 30 plus years. Uh, took the mantle from other people, Anthony Flew, others. He, and he is the biggest name when it comes to atheism. Google the latest article he wrote. And he said this, don't be gleeful at the demise of Christianity in Europe. And this is why. I'll just summarize it. He says, we are cutting off the branch we're standing on. At the very system of Western civilization and Europe and everything that we enjoy. The reason why Europe is not Iran is because of Jesus. So very interesting. The high priest of atheism is like, well, Christianity has worked. It's kind of brought good life. Huh, we have to be careful. Like, uh, I'm tearing down the very thing that has brought life to us. So this angel comes in and says, go preach about this life. And what do they do? At daybreak, like early, they don't go home and take a nap. They don't change their clothes. They show up at the temple in their prison blues, right? Preaching this life. Immediate, early, going for it. I have a saying, I have it written down at home. And it's this, it's an African saying. It says this, quote, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest lion or it will not survive. Every morning, a lion wakes up and it knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. So it doesn't matter if you are the lion or the gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. They get up early and they go for it. If you're young, get up early and go for it. So I think the best way to get up early and run, take some time, 
Read the Bible, pray. A prayer that I say very, very frequently in the morning is this. It's Psalm 90 verse 17. Before I start into my day, before I head out on whatever it is, I say, God, Yahweh, establish the works of my hands today. Establish thou them. God, today, whatever I'm doing, would you establish what I'm doing? Would you be with me? Would you help me? May the things that I do today glorify you and build your kingdom. Establish the works of my hand. May I run fast. I don't care if I'm a gazelle or a lion. I wanna run fast today. That's what these guys do. Early, straight out of prison, preaching. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. This is the Sanhedrin. It's a 71 members. It's like the Supreme Court. It's the most powerful organization in Israel. And all the Senate of the people of Israel. So this is the top echelon of Jerusalem, of Israel. They're there. And sent to the prison to have them brought out. They have this plan. We're gonna parade them from the public prison all the way to the Senate. Everyone will see them. It'll be awesome. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondered what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. I love that. They're perplexed. They're stroking their beards. Hmm. So you put them inside the prison. Yeah. Hmm. And you locked the door behind them. Yes. Hmm. And you didn't open the doors at all during the night. Hmm. No. And when you did open them, they were gone. Yes. I'm perplexed. <laughs> So good. It's comical because they had this whole plan. You can just see it in their mind. We'll get the Senate together. We'll get the Sanhedrin together. We'll parade them across Jerusalem. We'll intimidate them. We'll make them afraid. This is gonna be so awesome. We'll rough them up. We'll, we'll make sure and show them how strong we are and what we'll do to them. And then what happens? They're not there. And they're in the temple doing what got them arrested. Preaching and teaching mean they're not at all afraid of you guys. They're not at all afraid of your intimidation. Who ends up afraid in this text? Verse 26, they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Would you please come with us? We're sorry we put you in prison. Would you please? It, it's, it's amazing, okay? You know, that's what God is able to do. To take the plans of people that are against you or an enemy and actually reverse it so it goes against them. That's exactly what happened here. The plan of these people was to do all this intimidation, make them fearful, make, and what happened? They're the ones that end up fearful. God reverses the very plans that were set against them. God's able to do that for you and for me. He reverses it. It's brilliant. I love that. So then they had them brought, verse 27. They set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What did they say when Pilate was wanting to release Barabbas or wanting to release Jesus instead of Barabbas? What'd they say? His blood be upon us and our children. Now what are they saying? You're blaming us. Correct. <laughs> Correct, I am. Oh. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader. That's a great word, archegos. If I had time and savior to give repentance to Israel 
and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom, has given, whom God has given to those who obey him. I love Peter, right? He's been told you may not preach. He's been in prison for preaching. He's got all these guys together. And what does he do? He preaches right here. He just gives the quick gospel. Oh yeah, oh man, here you guys are all gathered together. Okay, I'm gonna preach to you. They have all the power. And yet it's this group that has full of envy. They're perplexed, they're fearful. They're trying to intimidate because they know they've lost the upper hand. And Peter says, verse 29, we must obey God. In chapter four, he said, you guys decide, should we obey God or man? This time he says, listen, we must obey God rather than men. This is the favorite text of your neighborhood anarchist, is it not? I'm obeying God, man, not the government. You'll be around them. They'll come to your community group and they'll just rile it up. They're everywhere. So just, man, I think it was a week and a half ago, I'm filling up my tank with gas and waiting out kind of outside talking to the gas station attendant. A guy that pulled up, he used to go to church here. Haven't seen him for a while. I'm like, hey man, what's going on? They start chatting. I'm like, what have you been doing, man? He's like, oh, I moved out to the country and you know, I'm raising pigs and chickens. And I'm like, well, that's better than some of the other things people move to the country to raise. So that's awesome. Good for you. And uh, um, we just kind of keep talking and talking. And uh, he's like, dude, you just gotta get out of the system. I said, what do you mean, the system? He's like, you gotta get out of the system. You're, you're, you're corporate, man. You gotta become private. I said, and I shouldn't have done this. I should have just kept my mouth shut at that point. It should have been, yeah, totally, man, bro. I gotta go, see ya. But I didn't. I'm a glutton for punishment. Like, bro, like, what are you talking about? It was your driver's license. Look at it. Your name is in all caps. I'm like, yeah, and? Well, how do you actually write your name? Is it all caps? No, it's capital M, lowercase a-t-t-h-e-w, capital H, lowercase e, all right? So when they have it in all caps like that, you can actually Google this, uh, it means they're referring to you as a corporation. I'm like, okay, and? He's like, if you will go into any government agency and you will say, I am not here as a corporation, I am here as a private citizen, they will do whatever you want. I'm like, really? So I said, okay, humor me. I go to the DMV. And I just stand there and say, I will not take a number. I am not coming as a corporation. I'm coming as a private citizen. Are they all gonna turn to me like, let me help you come first. No, you guys must wait. You're corporate. He's private. So I can go to Josephine County and, and go to like the planning department and be like, I am not here as a corporation. I am here as a private citizen and I wanna do this on my land. Are they gonna be like, okay, go ahead, do right. He's like, hmm. Nah, that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> I'm like, then what are you talking? Well, you have to go to somebody higher than that. Oh, like Supreme Court? I mean, where do we go? I, mean, I was just like, okay. I, I think I really have to go now. It's like a half hour conversation at a gas station. Oh, they're everywhere, right? You said fishing one time. When I used to fish a lot, would this guy come down? He would catch a salmon. It was at North Bank. And he would never tag it. And we're like, oh, dude, what's up? So when we asked, well, dude, what's up, man? He's like, oh, I'm an emancipated citizen. Now, now, explain that. I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, what do you mean emancipated citizen? What does that mean? He goes, oh, I don't have a driver's license. I, I don't have a passport. I'm an emancipated citizen. I don't pay insurance. I don't pay tax. I don't do any of that. Well, okay. And as a 22 year old, I'm like, well, that sounds good to me, man. <laughs> Sign me up. How do we do this? Right? So he keeps fishing with us, like, you know, throughout the, most of the salmon season. Then one day he catches the fish, doesn't tag it, down walks the sheriff. Sir, I saw you caught a fish and you didn't tag it. Yeah, because I'm an emancipated citizen. I can just see the sheriff going, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so he starts writing him a ticket. The dude whipped out his own little, he had this little book with him. He's like, it had like tear off thing and everything. He starts writing out his badge number and like, rah, 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 rah. tears off the slip, gives it to the policeman. He's like, you keep that fish on ice because tomorrow morning I'll have it back. Guess what? We never saw that guy fishing at North Bank again. <laughs> So I don't know what happened, but he disappeared. This emancipated citizen thing, he went away. <laughs> so you got all this kind of, is that what this is saying? No. 
what it's saying is when there is a bump between government law and God, you always choose God. That's what it's saying. So the midwives who are told by the government, the empire called Egypt, kill babies. What do they do? They don't kill the babies because God's law, right? When you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are told, bow down to this image. They don't bow down the image because the Bible says you worship God alone, right? When Daniel's told, you need to pray to these other gods, Daniel says, no, I only pray to God. I don't pray to the king. I don't pray to other gods. I pray only to Yahweh, right? That's what it means. When God's law and man's law collide, if they ever said to us, you may not preach in the name of Jesus, we'd have to say, put us in prison because I'm gonna still share Jesus, right? Jesus had commissioned them, go and preach in my name. An angel had come and repeated the commission to them. They had God's law and they said, no, we have God's law. That's what it means. And it's always in humility. It's never arrogantly, you kick that fish on ice, you know? It's, hey, you decide. Do I obey God or man? This time they answer, we must obey God, not men. That's the right way to do it, okay? And then I love verse 32, right? And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. We've been on, we're on fire. We have to preach, we don't have any choice. Church should never be a parking lot Church is supposed to be Cape Canaveral where you come and you get filled with God's spirit and you launch out of here and you change this world. That's what it's supposed to be, all right? So then quickly, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, <laughs> right? That's their answer to everything, isn't it? When, some, when you have a good answer and someone responds with a lot of anger, you know what that means? They don't have a response. Kill him, okay? But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Kill him. One guy, hey, time, time out, time out, hold on. Hey, would you guys leave for a second? His name is Gamaliel. He was called the beauty of the law. If you wanted to know how to keep all the Old Testament laws, you just looked at Gamaliel. He was the number one dude at it. He had a student, by the way, whose name is Paul. And Paul, Saul at the time, changed to Paul. Saul Paul was the next in line. He was his top student. And when Gamaliel retired or died or whatever, the guy that was gonna take his position would have been Paul. There's no earthly reason why Paul would have ever converted unless it was true. He gave up an unbelievable prestige, honor, power, became nothing. Saul means big, Paul means little. That's really what happened. He gave up everything. For Jesus. That's a whole nother story. So he comes in there and he goes, hey, remember Theodos. He was a guy that claimed to have parted the Jordan River. 
And the Romans came and he couldn't keep them from parting his head from his body. They beheaded him. So I thought, well, we're done with him. Then this other guy, Judas, he was in a, a tax revolt. We're not paying taxes to you. And they came and killed him and the rest of the people paid their taxes. So he's like, look, these guys thought they were something and they're done. So he says something, verse 38. He says, if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. Is that true? I would say no. There's been a lot of undertakings of men that continue to this day. There are a lot of cults that don't believe Jesus is who Jesus is, God in the flesh, that still go on. And they started really within 150 years. All our modern cults actually had their beginning within 150 years of Christianity. Like they all can trace back to the same heresy that they held within 100 years of Jesus' birth. Right? Yeah, right? There's plenty of false things that still continue on. So that part, yeah, not exactly right. Eventually it's gonna fail, no doubt about it, at the end of the age, but it'll still kind of continue on and hurt and do crazy things. The other side though, but if it is of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. Is that true or false? That one's true. So is it good advice? Yes and no, right? So Satan can appear as an angel of light. Most of the epistles toward the end of your Bible are filled with all this kind of warning. Look out for deception, look out for deception, look out for deception, it's gonna come, you won't know it. Be careful. Because men will be really good at crafting ideas that are actually demonically inspired. First Timothy chapter four, be careful of that. But on the other side, I love that it says if it's from God, it's not gonna fail. And now we have 2000 years of Christianity marching through history, through ups and downs, through craziness, through this. And guess what? Still here. It still stands. Brilliant. So they're like, hey, that's good advice. So what do they do? Hey, you know what? You guys go. No. They beat them, which means this. They would have flogged them 39 times. 39 only because they said this. If you flog a man over 40 times and he dies you're guilty of murder. But if you flog him 39 times and he dies, he was just a wimp and he'd need to die anyways, right? So they said 39 is fine. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it's total religion, right? They got a guy with a clicker, click, 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 click. Whoa, 39, you're dead, dude, too bad. You're, you're fine, go ahead, right? I mean, it's just like, whoa, that is to me religion. Care less about people, just gotta keep the count. And then you have the apostles rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be flogged and beaten. Like they went home and threw a party. Dude, I'm missing a tooth, break out the cake. Dude, look at my back. What about it? You can see my backbone. Right? It's insane. This is insane. Why would they do this? These are the men that would have witnessed Jesus being beat the same way. They would have witnessed Jesus taking a beating for them. And they say, if he was treated bad for my sake, if he paid the ultimate price for me, then I can pray it for him. That's what holiness does. Do you know that? If he took a beating for me, no problem. I can take people making fun of me, sending me a nasty email, getting upset, or even beating me because of what Jesus has done for me. And when you're that way, you're unbeatable. It's Revelation 12, verse 10. They overcame Satan. Those chapters are all about Satan, the dragon. It says this, they overcame by three things. The word of their testimony. They weren't liars and posers. What they said was true. The blood of the lamb, they understood we have been sanctified and set apart. We've gained entrance into the temple. We've become the very temple of the Holy Spirit by the blood of the lamb. The Passover lamb has saved us. And then lastly, they love not their lives even unto death. 
Like, what do you do to people like that? Kill me, I don't care. It's true. What I'm telling you is true. Kill me, right? There's, there's nothing, worth, you're, you're done then. You've run out of ammo. And that was what these guys were doing because they knew something about life. They were preaching, this is life. This is life. Jesus came to give us life and we've experienced it and we wanna share it and no one will ever shut us up. And this is what we celebrate this weekend with Good Friday, with praise on Saturday night and with Easter. We celebrate life, that Jesus is the bringer of life and the defeater of death. And we celebrate that. So I want you to stand up for just a minute, grab somebody's hand, and we're gonna pray for Easter in our little valley. Father, you loved us so much that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have age-abiding life starting the moment they open their heart to him. And this weekend we get to share words of life with people individually and corporately at gatherings all over the Rogue Valley, at Trail, at Mountain, at Heritage, at Applegate, at River Valley, at Parkway, at Calvary Chapel, at Edgewater, at so many places. And we're praying, Lord, for a great harvest to happen in the communities that love your son and declare his victory on our behalf, that he is our archegos, our leader, our hero, our victorious one. And so I ask, Lord, even today that you would be tilling up the soil, the hearts of those that need to believe and to give their lives back to the author of life. May they be ready for that good seed. And may we see thousands come to faith in the Rogue Valley this Sunday, Lord. May we see a miraculous revival happen. May we be faithful even tomorrow to invite and to share and to be those that are not hypocrites, those that are pure, those that have the words of life, those who understand the sacrifice you made and the way they live reflects it. And may there be a beautiful harvest, we pray. May your body be edified and built. And so we pray this in your son's name, the beautiful name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys, we'll see you on Sunday.